Solomon did reign for 40 years. He is the richest and wisest man to live according to most, and Solomon did amass his fortune. But it came on the heels of him answering a question. God gave him a question in a dream, and God said, I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask me anything you desire. Ask me anything and I will grant it to you. And so that's where we turn our attention. We pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 4. And we read this, And Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great faithfulness to your servant David my father, according as he walked before you in truth righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great faithfulness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am like a little boy. I don't know how to come in or go out. Now at this point, most people know Solomon to be around 20 years old, 20, 21 years old. So just keep that in mind. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil for who is capable of judging this great people of yours. Now Chronicles also gives this account. And so in 2 Chronicles, we find Solomon asking in chapter 1 verse 10, now give me wisdom and knowledge so that I may go out and come in before this people for who can rule this great people of yours. And God's response back to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10, God says this, and it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and, not be, and have not asked for yourself a long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself for discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no, no one like you before you, nor shall there be anyone like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will be not any among the kings like you in all of your days. And if you walk in my ways, Solomon, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. If you drop down to chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, God also says, or uh, the writer of Kings says, Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breath of mind, like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. It's interesting to note that what we just read there uh, compiles all of these words when we think of Solomon being the wisest man ever to live. There's actually a number of words in the Hebrew that, that, pay, that give us attention to what we, we should pay attention to, including an understanding heart, discernment, wisdom, and knowledge. And so when you look at the original language, you find that what we're really talking about is listening, hearing having an intelligent mind, skilled in wisdom, wise in, administ in the administration of affairs. That's what's being addressed here. I want to kind of broaden wisdom out to include all of the following because in one of these verses, if not several, that's what God and Solomon are talking about. Now, 
I really, when I was doing some work on this, folks, I got to be honest with you, um, what came to my mind was Matthew 13. Matthew 13 says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hidden. From joy he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. As I was unlocking this particular passage, I really felt Matthew 13 come alive because that's what I felt like I was doing. What we have here is, is, is Solomon going to God, God going to Solomon in a dream and asking, like, ask for anything. <laughs> and we, we look at that and think, of all the things you could have asked for, like, of everything you could have asked for, why did you ask for that? What, what, when you and I pray, we, we just spend time, if you read the ACTS, the ACTS acronym, right? Adoration, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, right? We just adored God up here. We just gave our praises to him. I hope when we arrived at church this morning, we were confessed up. We, we had spent time repenting of the things we needed to repent of, having a clean and pure heart. I hope that we spend time today giving God thanks for everything he's blessed us with. And now God comes to you and to me and says, what do you want? Supplication. What is it that you're asking for? Throughout the Bible, we see God doing that multiple times, going to his children and saying, just like a dad gives his kid things, I want to give you things. What do you want? What is it when God says, what do you want? What, what do you fill in the blank with? Well, God, I need health. I need, I need uh, financial stability. I need for, 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 for you to, to work in this area of my friend's life. I need my family to be reconciled. Those are all great things. Can I just give you a charge this morning that I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Above all of those things, the next time you pray to God, before you pray for anything else, pray for wisdom. When is the last time that you sat before God the Father and said, before I start in with my list, which is a worthy list. It needs to be prayed for. God, I'm glad to pray for. I'm honored to pray for. I'm going to pray for wisdom. I'm going to pray for discernment. God, would you give me understanding? Would you give me knowledge in this area? Solomon did it, and I think we can take our cue from him. And the question is why? Why should I ask for wisdom above everything else? Let me give you four quick reasons. Here's number one. Because God loves it. The reason that you should ask for wisdom above everything else when you go to God in prayer is because God loves it. Look back at the text in 1 Kings chapter 3. When Solomon did this, quote, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And that is echoed throughout the, throughout the scriptures in Proverbs chapter 2. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Now think about that. Go back to that passage. Look what, look what Solomon is saying in the book of Proverbs. God what? Stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He has vats full. He has storehouses full of what? Wisdom. Does God have financial prosperity for you? Possibly. Does he have health uh, prosperity for you? Possibly. But I know this, he has wisdom stored up for you. When is the last time you asked God for it? In uh, James chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? Ask for it. And God will, will, will give all to all generously and without reproach. God is not stingy with wisdom. He is not holding it back saying, well, if you do X, Y, and Z, maybe I'll just throw you a bone every now. He wants to give you wisdom. 
Why should I ask God for wisdom? Because he wants to give it to you. God loves when you ask him for wisdom, for discernment, for understanding, for knowledge. Have you considered that? I, I think it was mentioned, I don't know, but I, I'm spiritual life director over at Valley Christian School. My wife teaches there. And, and so I was doing chapel last week, and we were talking about this issue of anger, right? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and, and slow to get angry, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Right, so we were talking about that. Well, God gave me this emotion of anger. I have emotions. When can I use it? Well, Jesus got angry. God got angry. Like it was this great conversation we were having. And we landed the plane on this. Love what God loves. Don't love what God doesn't love. If God hates something, we should hate it as well. If God loves something, I should love it as well. Right? Love what he loves. Hate what he hates. I find that in the text here. Go through the scriptures and find out what God loves and what he doesn't love. And just live your life that way. Guys, I'm telling you right now, I don't know much, but I know this. God loves to give you wisdom. If you'll ask for it. So, so, so right there, I guess, you know, why should I ask for wisdom? Because God loves it. Now, pragmatically, why else should I ask for wisdom? I think it just makes sense. For instance, you have in your bulletins there this circle, right? This circle. Um, and, and so you can do this mentally or if you have a pen or pencil. Here's what I want you to do. If that circle, let's just pretend that circle, in the boundaries of that circle was all the knowledge and information ever to exist. Take all the information, all the knowledge ever to exist, and it's in the boundaries of that circle. Now, here's what I want you to do. In your mind or with a pen or pencil, draw a little like piece of the pie. How much do you know? Out of all the information that's ever to exist, how much do you know? How much knowledge and information do you possess? So, so I think, just to help you out, I think Bill possesses 50%, <laughs> if that's a baseline. What's funny is, Bill texted me in between services and said, it's actually more than 50%. <laughs> Literally texted me. He didn't know I was going to do that, you know, and... How much do we really know? Consider this. Just consider this. Did you know that the average person will watch 5,000 movies in their lifetime? 5,000. I don't know who figured that out, but let's just say. Birth to death, 5,000 movies. And you know when you get a phone or an iPad or whatever, one of the most frustrating things is when you get that notification, you're about running out of storage, right? You're about done. You can buy an iPhone 15 now, the latest one, the titanium one, and you can get the platinum package, which is one terabyte of storage. Now, I don't know anything other than, I don't, you could never get that notification if you have a terabyte of storage on your phone. Like, you could just take as many pictures and videos as you want. Did you know that a 20 terabyte chip can store every movie you'll ever watch times three? In other words, it could store up to 15,000 movies and never run out of, you'd never get that notification, 20 terabyte chip. I love this picture um, because somewhere, someone, there is a researcher, researchers are developing a single chip device that mimics the human eye's capacity to capture, process, and store visual data. In other words, Somewhere out there, people are putting a contact lens or a chip, I don't know, inside, and you're going to be able to one day walk around with no camera necessary because it's recording and capturing everything you're looking at. 
which is fascinating in and of itself, the technology of that, but I'm fascinated with the storage part of that. Who's storing all that data? Somebody hit me up after the second service and said, did you know there's a place in, what did they say, Utah, they built a facility that somehow is storing all of this information on me and you as decision, like it stores all the stuff we've ever done in life and it's starting to create algorithms that decide before you decide. In other words, if I put Mark in a situation, the storage that they already have on him can give a percentage on what his next decision will be. I mean, guys, this is the world we're living in right now. And I'm asking you, how much do you know? Out of all the information on this planet, how much, like what's your 10%, 5%, 1%? here's the second part of this illustration. How many decisions do you make in a day? I'm not talking about, I got up today, took a shower, ate some breakfast. I'm talking about how many decisions do you make in a day that impact you, the ones around you, your livelihood? How many would you guess? I, 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 25? Is that fair? Is anyone gonna get up and walk out? Tw 25, let's say 25 decisions in a day that have some weight to them. You know see what I'm saying? They have some, some, some value to them. Guys, 25 decisions in a day, that's over 9,000 in one year. That's over half a million in 65 years. Half a million. Half a million decisions where I've got to make it and I don't know how exactly it's going to turn out. Half a million decisions where I may lose money or make money, where I may have some health issues or not have health issues, where I may uh, make my livelihood better, my family's livelihood, or maybe not, where I may make some friends or make some enemies. A half a million of those. How much do you know? What are you making those decisions based on? And what I'm saying is, like, I found a treasure when I was dealing with this because I thought, Oh my gosh, option A is this little sliver in the, in the pie. I'm making those decisions based on the knowledge, wisdom, and information I currently possess. Or option B, tap into the wisdom of God. It seems like it's a no-brainer. When's the last time you did it? When's the last time I did it? Paul says in Romans chapter 11, Oh, the depth of the riches of God, both of the wisdom and knowledge. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who became his counselor? Who was first given to him that it would be paid back to him? For through God, from God, and to God are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. It's not even a fair fight. God says, you could take option A. Live off your own wisdom and knowledge. Never tap into mine. Good luck. And God says, I've got it over here for you. I store it up for you. Do you want it? And so many of us go through life and say, I've got this, God. Here's something I, I didn't know. Maybe you didn't know either. Did you know, sometimes when we look at Solomon and we say, well, Solomon started with nothing. God came to him in a dream, said, what do you want? He said, I'll take wisdom. God just dumped it his way, and now Solomon's got all the wisdom. And we think, if I do the same, that's what's going to happen. In other words, if I go to God and say, I don't have any wisdom. I want all the wisdom. God's just going to say, boop, there you go. Here's all the wisdom you'll ever need. That's not the way it worked. Watch this. Back in 1 Kings chapter 2, First, first and second Kings, before we get to chapter three, first Kings chapter one and two, I should say, before we get to chapter three, there's a lot to be said there. Did you know in chapter two, David's dying. So David, Solomon's dad, he's dying. And, and he's got Solomon now as his son, but he has other sons. 
And so who gets the throne, right? Well, his son, his older son, Adonijah, wants the throne. And so Adonijah wants the throne, and Adonijah's like hunting for the throne. He's Solomon's older brother. And so he, back in the day, the way you would know if the king died and someone else gets the throne is it'd be a coronation and a big ceremony, lots of sacrifices. So Adonijah decides to have his own sacrifice, his own party. He's like self-proclaimed king. Gets some people behind it. There's some rumbling there. So, so Solomon and Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, hear about this. They take Nathan the prophet. They go over to David. He's on his deathbed. They say, hey, listen, Adonijah's about to take over here. David's like, I don't think so. So they said, well, what do you want to do? And so David proclaims Solomon to be the king. Now, David is dying at this point, literally can't get out of bed. And so the, the, his counselors around him decide, you know, we need to do something for this guy. So they, they look throughout all of Israel for a nurse. And they find a nurse named, uh, what's her name? I'll think of it in a second. It's in here somewhere. If you know it, shout it out. There it is, Abishag. Did someone say that? It's Abishag. Who wouldn't have known that, right? Abishag the Shunammite. So Abishag gets called on to be David's personal assistant, plus his wife, plus his nurse. They don't even cohabitate together, but that was the deal. He's on his deathbed. She's his last wife. That's going to become important, important here in just a moment. So Adonijah says, I'm the king. David says, no, Solomon's the king. In fact, take my donkey, have this coronation, all this kind of stuff. So Solomon becomes the king. Now Adonijah's out in the cold, right? So Solomon and Bathsheba are kind of rejoicing that Solomon's the king. Adonijah says, I gotta do something about this. Now, David's on his deathbed, and in chapter two, verse nine, listen to this. David says to Solomon, therefore, don't let him go unpunished, comma, for you are a wise man. This kid is 20 years old and his dad says, you're a wise man prior to God meeting him in a dream. See, I thought Solomon just went as a 20-year-old knucklehead and said, I don't know anything, God. And God said, here's a bunch of wisdom. That wasn't the case. Solomon was already making decisions prior to his dream with God. And one of them was, what am I going to do with my older brother? So he becomes king and Adonijah's not happy. So Adonijah goes to Bathsheba and says, listen, throw me a bone, man, honestly. I didn't get to be king. I'm a little upset. How about this? How, can I take Abishag as my wife? My dad's dead now. I'd like to have her as my wife. And Bathsheba says, let me go talk to King Solomon. So she goes and talks to King Solomon. Guys, this is why it matters. This is not the decision of what I have for breakfast this morning. I don't, you don't need wisdom for that. Take Fruity Pebbles. They're the best. You need wisdom when someone comes to you like your mom and says, hey, your older brother wants your father's last wife as his wife. What do you think about that? Now I need wisdom. Why? Because Adonijah had a play here. Adonijah had an angle here. And Solomon picked up on the angle. See, if Adonijah marries Abishag, now he's got somewhat of a direct line to the throne because she was David's last wife. And he was going to play that in front of the nation of Israel as that's why I should be king, not Solomon. And Solomon knew that. Why? Because he was a wise man. So Solomon says to Bathsheba, listen, um, in a sarcastic way, he actually says, not only can he have her as a wife, give, her the whole, give, him, give him the whole kingdom. And Bathsheba knew something was up at that point. And then Solomon said, yeah, here's the thing. He's not getting her as a wife. He's not getting the whole kingdom. And he's not waking up tomorrow. He'll die tonight. And sure enough, Adonijah died that night. And so guys, this is what I'm talking about is these decisions we have to make are never easy. They're tension filled. Someone wins, someone loses. There's no rule book. God's saying, why don't you come to me for wisdom? 
And so God meets Solomon in this dream and God provides the wisdom because the very next day, Solomon gets a knock on his door. You probably heard this story. Two women show up, two prostitutes, and they say, listen, we live in the same house. We have two babies about the same age. One of them's dead and one of them's living. One of them died in the middle of the night. And one woman comes to Solomon and says, here's what happened. She rolled over on her baby and smothered it by accident. And in the middle of the night, suffocated her baby. Then she switched babies in the middle of the night. She took the living one and gave me the, di the dead one. And now we woke up and she's claiming my baby's the dead one. The other woman said, that's not what happened. This lady rolled over on her baby, smothered her baby by accident. I feel for it, but I have the living one. There was no switch. I have the living one. You have two women claiming the, the life of one child. There was no, no Ancestry.com back then. There was no DNA testing. Now you're the king of Israel. Everyone's watching because you just came out of a dream where God said, I'm going to give you all the wisdom you need. And the first decision you have to make is who gets the kid? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Like, God, what do I do right now? That's the kind of wisdom I'm asking we need to ask God for. So Solomon says, cut the kid in half. And that way, you each get a part of the kid. And the, he knew enough to know what? The real mom would never let that happen. So the real mom steps up and says, she can have the kid. The other woman can have the kid because I'd rather have my child alive and that way he's raised up and even if I can't participate in that. The other woman who wasn't the mother of the kid said, fine with me, we all win. And so Solomon knew right away, I know who the real mom is. And he gave that child back to his real mom. See guys, I don't know about you, but I live in a world where I need to make decisions and I don't know how it's gonna turn out. And I want the best I can possibly do God loves when we ask him for, uh, for help with this, with wisdom. It just makes common sense. Here's another thing. It, it, it uh, right here, your, your life looks more like Christ. How do I know that? Look at this. This is phenomenal. But the wisdom from above, James says the wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, free. See, see. It's not just that you have wisdom. It's that you approach life as a peace-loving person, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy. People come to you and say, what should I do here? Give me your advice here. Why? Because they know they're going to get that kind of person. They know they're going to get a level-headed, God-fearing person. You become more Christ-like. Paul says this in Philippians 1, and I pray that your love may overflow still more and more in what? Knowledge and discernment. Why, Paul? Because I want you to discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes be, uh, through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. He also says in, in Colossians, we have not stopped praying for you. What are you praying for, Paul? That you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul didn't play, pray for the church at Colossae for financial gain and health and wealth. And those things aren't bad. He's just saying, before I get to anything, I'm praying that you have all knowledge and wisdom in spiritual things. In Colossians 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. What? With all wisdom. So that you can teach and admonish and sing and praise God and be thankful. When is the last time we asked for wisdom? God loves it, just makes sense, makes you more Christ-like. Here's another thing it does, is it provides protection for the body. 
John says in 1 John, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. See whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone in and out of the world. I love what Paul says in Romans, don't be conformed to this world, but what? Have your mind transformed. Renew your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I like what J.I. Packer, a great theologian and author, sums it up this way. He says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal. Now, just stop right there. It's the inclination. I have an inclination to see and choose the best and highest goal and together with the surest means of attaining it. Guys, I got to be honest with you. I want to work for people like this. I want to be around people like this. I want my kids to marry people like this. I want to serve under people. Are you kidding me? And, and if God should so allow, I want to be a person like this. Does it come with financial gain? Maybe. Does it come with health? Maybe. I want all of those things. And, and, and the question is, okay, Greg, maybe I'm sold on this. How do I get it? I want it. How do I get it? Here's two things. Here's how you get it real quick. Number one, you've got to fear the Lord. This is a package deal. I don't know of any wise man or woman who claims to be a believer in Christ that does not fear the Lord. It doesn't, doesn't work, guys. And here's the reason it doesn't work. is because the more people tell you, man, you're such a wise person. You're such a, that was such good advice. I love it. Would you come mentor? Pride starts to build up, right? We start to get full of ourselves. And the way we stop getting full of ourselves is we fear God first. Uh, this is what Proverbs says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools actually despise wisdom and instruction. And again in Psalms, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who follow the commandments, his commandments, have a good understanding and his praise endures forever. So do I fear God? Do I humble myself enough to say, to go before God and say, God, I haven't figured this out. I'm begging you for wisdom. And when wisdom comes my way, when knowledge and discernment and understanding come my way, and people actually say, man, that was a really good thing you just said there. Boy, that was really wise information. Boy, you really handled that situation well. I'll be quick to give you the glory. I will immediately deflect that up. Why? Because I fear you. I know enough to know I don't know enough. And I know enough to tell people it wasn't from me. It's from you, Lord. I... I Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? We all know this passage, right? For trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. We have that tattooed somewhere on our bodies. We have that memorized. It's crocheted in our homes. Do you know what verses 7 and 8 say? Anybody look up 7 and 8? We get to 6 and we're like, good enough for me. I want my path straight. Here's what 7 and 8 say. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It'll be healing to your body, refreshment to your bones. Now it's a passage. Now I know what to do. Don't be wise in my own eyes. God, I'm going to fear you. Is that what's happening today? You've got to fear the Lord, guys. If you want to be wise, if you want to be wise this side of heaven, you have to fear the Lord. Here's number two. Number two is I think you've got to live a little. And what I mean by that is Job says this. He says, wisdom is with the aged and with long life comes understanding. And then in Proverbs, Solomon says, the glory of young men is their strength and the honor of old men is their gray hair. Or no hair. Or receding hairline. Right, that's the glory. Like, like, like we've all been there, right? The glory of young men is their strength. How far, how high, how long. The glory of older people is, I don't know, I've, got, I've lived a little. 
those of us in the room who have lived a little, we're not wise in the sense of like, I've studied a lot and I, it's just I've lived life. I know what to do and what not to do because I've done a lot of what not to do. And, and part of me helping this next generation is telling you what not to do, what to avoid. Well, watch this. Did you see this video? Let me play this video. I don't know if there's sound to it. Okay, there's no sound. So this guy puts literally $10,000 in front of this kid. And he says, do you want $10,000? Or, or the wait a minute. This. Two. Out of the box. Oreo cookies. Huh? Are you sure? That's $10,000 cash. You want the Oreo cookies? Are you sure? Okay, go ahead. Father to the younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Leviticus says, stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. You shall fear your God, for I am the Lord. Is that happening today? Is that really happening? Do we have a generation that's looking above them saying, I, I want to know what you know. Like, tell me, talk to me, help me understand, because you've lived a little longer than I have. You've been down the road a little further. You're not perfect. I don't even know if I called you wise, quite honestly, but I'm looking for help. I need some help. Um, I, Ryan Tongason, he's my nephew. Uh, he's the youth pastor here. Look, I'm serious about this because I don't know what else to do about this. But what I love, guys, I love the fact that ACC is multi-generational, right? I love it. Very few churches today. We set our music a certain way. We set our program a certain way. We set our building a certain way. So we only attract a certain clientele. This church breaks all of that down and says, we're doing pews. We're doing bell choirs. We're doing worship bands. We're doing praise nights. We're doing... So... It, if you're 440, 400, doesn't matter, come to this church. I love that. But have we ever like crossed paths to where like we're just going to get to know each other across generations? So here's my charge. I don't know if Ryan's in the room right now. I know I see Paul back there. So Paul's, Paul does our young adults. Ryan does high school. Here's my charge to Paul and to Ryan. I would love for them to take their classes, their groups, their people, and to visit your Sunday school class your older Sunday school class. And I would love for you as a, an adult older Sunday school class to give up one or two Sundays a year where the young people come in and we do just, to, just do a Q&A. What's it like to be older? What's it like, what was it like to live in the 40s, 50s, and 60s? I, I, can't, I don't even know what you're talking about. What's life before the internet? Like what was life like before television or you know, before cars? I don't know how old you are. Probably not that old. <laughs> like, what, what, what was it like? Uh, it's amazing to me. Someone came up to me after the service and he said, you know, we're called to go evangelize and disciple the nations, but I think part of discipleship is right here in my family. That we just sit down, and I don't, I'm not a theologian. Like, I'm not going to, like, parse scripture with you, but I have life to give you. I've got stories to tell you. I've got wisdom to share for you. The Bible is chock full of verses of how the older should be teaching the younger. Someone came up to me after the service and said, please don't use the word old, use older. Okay, fair enough. You're not old, but you're older. Now, here's the catch though, watch this. 
If the Bible's so clear that young people should be coming to you, older people, what is the assumption that you have? That wasn't rhetorical. <laughs> what do you have? Don't say old because we all know that. You have wisdom. You, so, so, the, so that's the question, right? Do you have, listen, if Ryan shows up at Voyagers or Paul shows up at your adult Sunday school class and they have a Q&A, do they walk out of there saying those people have wisdom? Not the funniest people on the planet, not the best looking people on the planet, but they have, do you have that, right? So now we got to throw the mirror up. And if you're a young person in here today, and you say, well, Greg Solomon got wisdom when he was 20. Do I have to wait that long? I'm saying, no, you don't. Get the process started. But don't be foolish enough to think, if I go to God at an 18-year-old and say, God, I want wisdom, he's just going to dump it my way in such a way that I'll be the wisest person on the planet more than 50, 60, 70-year-olds. That's not going to happen. Some of you will get the gift of wisdom. God will give you the gift of wisdom. But for most of us, we've got to earn it by way of fearing God, spending time with him, and living life. But we live in such a, a day and age, guys, honest to goodness. Like kids are, like where are they getting their wisdom from today? Right here, times a thousand, whatever's in front of them. Now, are you willing to leverage whatever's in front of them versus your wisdom? I hope not. I really hope not. I hope my kids one day. I found out, listen to this. Two months ago, my oldest son, Caden, and his daughter-in-law. Hey, guess what? It was one of those conversations. Guess what? You're going to be a grandfather. Whoo! Uh, like, it was like this moment of like crying and hugging and whatnot. And then this reality of, wait a minute, what? Car seats, play packs, all this kind of stuff. Now we're back in the business. We're back in the game. And I thought to myself, you know what? Honestly, for those grandparents out there, I want to be that grandparent that spoils the kid. And, you know, I, wanna, I want that kid to grow up and say, you were the best grandfather ever. But I want that kid so much more than that to say, Grandpa, I want to go to you for wisdom. I want to go to you for advice. I want to go to you for just life. How did you do it? I desire that. Well, I've got to earn it then. I've got to show that kid that albeit imperfect, I fear God, I'm in his word, and I've lived life a little bit. And I think we have plenty of people right here around us that can do that. Are you doing that with your family? Is that happening? I hope it is. Listen to this. I'll close with this. Solomon's about to die. So Brandon's going to come along next week and tell you, hey, it wasn't all fun and games for Solomon. The wisest person, the richest person in the world, he's got problems. He's going to share some of them with you next week. Solomon's about to die. His son, as I mentioned, is Rehoboam. Rehoboam takes over the throne. Well, one of Solomon's advisors named Jeroboam goes to Rehoboam after he takes over the throne in 1 Kings 12 and says, hey, whoa, 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 listen, now that you're the king, your dad did a lot of things good, but here's one thing he screwed up on. He, he worked us to death, man. So would you alleviate us a little bit from the, 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 the labor issue, the tax and the labor issue? Listen to this. I'll quote from 1 Kings chapter 12, and, and, and we'll sort of end with this. Listen to this. Jeroboam it says, would you consult with the elders? In verse 8 of 1 Kings chapter 12, but Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given him, and he consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. And the young men said, tell the people of Israel, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. 
God-fearing, godly men who have lived life a little bit say to Rehoboam, you're the new king, you're a young buck wet behind the ears, lighten up on the people. Your knucklehead clown friends over here say, you know what would be funny? Give them more. That would be funny. We'll even film it. It would be funny. We'll post it tonight. He takes their advice. What's the problem with that, Greg? So what? He was having a little fun. Do you know that's the beginning of the divided kingdom right there? Do you know that Jeroboam took that answer and he said, we're out. Took 10 tribes with him up north. Thus he created the, the Israel. And Rehoboam stayed down south with two nations and created Judah. And now we have a divided kingdom that God's got to work through. All because this knucklehead went to his young friends and said, what do you all think? He had wisdom right here. And he chose to ignore it. Guys, may we never do that. So here's my challenge to us today. Number one, walk closely with God. Do you fear God enough to walk closely with him? Number two, ask God for wisdom every day above all else. But everything else is secondary to God. Give me wisdom to make the decisions I need to make today. And number three, could we as a congregation pray for Pastor Bill, the elders of this church, the leaders that are up here, Tina, all these people, could we ask God, maybe make it a part of your prayer plan to ask God for wisdom on their behalf. They lead us so well, so faithful, and the way this world is headed, guys, we need strong, wise leaders that are running this church, and so I would just ask us to do that, okay? All right, so here's what I want to do. Let's all bow our heads, Let's all close, and I'm, what I want to do is I just want to read in closing in prayer. I want to read a prayer out of Ephesians chapter 5, because I think it was very appropriate for what we're talking about today. So let's close in prayer from the words of the Apostle Paul. So then, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise people, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, beloved, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to our God and Father, and subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.